Myself and Millie, a podcast about pop culture and hot goss through the lens of your nosy neighbor. I'm your host and nosy neighbor, Millie Brooks. Our topic today is home ownership. <laughs> there is, this is part of a two-part series where we unpack the highs and lows of owning a home. And joining me today is actor, musician, father, husband, the list continues, and homeowner, Michael Barrett Austin. Thanks for having me. Hi, Michael. Thank you for coming on the show today. Before we launch into the segment, yes, because this is a neighborhood gossip podcast, Mm, mm. do you have any good neighborhood gossip? Oh, well, you know, I was going to sort of talk about the ups and downs of my hood later down the line. Yeah, I mean, I like my neighbors. Uh, We have a lot of neighbors that collect too many cars. And it's a problem. Like, they're taking up a lot of the street with their spare cars. Uh, Two of them just collect them, like, for fun. And one of those people is, like, someone we're close to and we like. uh, And the other, I mean, the other, we like them all. But come on, so many cars. Like, we have the courtesy to only have as many cars as fit in our driveway and garage. And we'd like for our friends to be able to park when they come visit. Uh, so that's always been a lot. And sometimes hanging in the driveway. Mm-hmm. Mm, not okay. Mm-hmm. Who raised these people? I don't know, but I have to say I have a couple of the same neighbors. And they collect cars, and I have to say the cars they collect, I question it. I question it, because, like, really, did you need that 1997 Nissan Altima? I guess we all have our, like, stupid thing we spend money on. For me, currently, it's fancy bourbons. <laughs> like, know. it's okay to have a hobby, but, like, my that hobby only takes up a small space. Right. It doesn't take up a public space. Anyway. Right, right. Yeah, so cars. Be, be wise. Be mindful. I like it. Okay. I like it. So let's start off um, this part, this part of the episode with um, telling me and the listeners a little bit about your home and how you got here. All right. So we're in Southwest Berkeley. I think most people don't say the South part about this neighborhood. They just say West. But if you look at a map, it's Southwest. Uh, We're right on the border of Emeryville and Oakland. That's sort of our area. If you're trying to picture it. And uh, so, how did we get here? So, my wife and I are both in the theater, my lovely wife, Emily, and we, it's funny, so being an actor, I don't know, maybe a lot of people come up thinking they will be vastly successful and rich. For me, I was like, I had always embraced a life of poverty. (laughs) I figured that is where I was headed. So Mm -hmm. I never really thought I'd own a home. Mm Mm-hmm. But then again, I also never thought I'd get married or have a child until I met the person I wanted to do that with. And once I met Emily and we had these goals in our life, I sort of wanted a home to do it in. We had a nice apartment, also in Oakland, not too far from here, with some space. We could have started there with a kid, but I think because we both grew up in single-family homes, maybe that was sort of in our heads and hearts as, like, the right way to do it. Not that there's any right way to do it. And I think maybe Emily had aspired to, to own more than I had previously. So that's why we started looking. After we got married, I I sort of asked for three things. I was like, can we have a year before we start trying to have a child for ourselves? Reasonable. Uh, Could we go on a great adventure in that year? That has nothing to do with this. We went to Peru. It was great. And could we uh, try to get a home within that year so that we have a landing place for our family? 
to get established in. And so we started looking in that year. We found, we started actually with a mortgage broker uh, because we just like, Emily has a friend, she calls Republican Chuck, who's like very wise about money mm-hmm, things. Mm-hmm. And he was like, get my friend, Jason Tuttle. It's a plug for Jason Tuttle. Uh, yep, shout he's out excellent. to Jason Tuttle. Uh, he's based in the North Bay, but he like drives all over. He came, he met with us. He like asked us what records we had or what we didn't. Started to talk us through what we'd need to get pre-qualified. Then we found our realtor through our neighbors who had bought their house with her. And we really liked them and we liked their house. And they seemed kind of like us, and we're like, eh, if they liked her, we probably will. We interviewed a couple others that we thought were great, but the tiebreaker, and I would recommend this for anyone shopping, mm-hmm. is you gotta spend a lot of time with your realtor. Oh. So you wanna pick someone you like hanging out with. And we liked Liz Barron's. Good. Liz Barron's. That is a great recommendation, because that was the same thing for us. <laughs> We were like driving around. Yeah, you we, spend like all your you weekends with them for a while. Every weekend. And you're kind of, you're you're sort of letting them in on your life. That's true. A little They're bit. They're going to know things. They're going to know things that, that maybe your friends don't. That your friends don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, personal stuff. Great advice. So that was a good choice. So we did some driving around with Liz and I remember like that, like, Hive when the new listings would come out and you'd search and Emily and I would send them to each other and Liz would call us with the things she had seen on her special tour she thought were interesting and and we'd go to all these places and it quickly became apparent like I should start with this I even though I never really thought I'd have enough money to own a home I had put some money away and Emily had two and I was always naively under the impression like, oh, I probably have enough for a down payment Mm -hmm. on a home. But I think I just had not ever really looked into it and realized just how much is expected for a down payment, especially if you want a reasonable monthly payment, how crazy the market had gotten here in the Bay Area where we wanted to live. And so, uh, I hope Emily doesn't mind me sharing this, but we, uh, she... As it, as it happened, by co- complete coincidence, she had an uncle who passed away fairly young right after we were married, and he didn't have any children of his own, and he was a frugal guy, and he ended up passing on his money to seven different relatives, including Emily, but that was sort of the nest egg that allowed us to make our down payment, and I don't... Well, we would have had to choose a different house and go some kind of different route and maybe a different area mm-hmm. had we not been lucky enough mm-hmm. for that to happen at the right time. And saying that's lucky is terrible. Like, obviously, I would rather we had done that than that he had died, you know. But, right, right. But it's an interesting thing to think about. And it's always something tied up with homeownership for me is like, what does it take to own a home in the Bay Area? It really, it's so true. I think that like, um, understanding your own money and like the like because outside of the bay area you can put zero down (laughs) it seems like that it's like oh three (laughs) percent you know but like here it's like basic 20 percent whatever you're looking whatever house i mean that's been my experience what they told us to yeah like if you find a house and let's say you want to compete in this market if you want to compete Exactly. And even if it's a crappy home. <laughs> we can say crappy. There's, crappy. Some, there's some really crappy ones that get listed and sell for a lot. And sell a lot of people lot. that are wealthy buy them, destroy them completely, and build a fancy new one. Yep. Yep. So that's out there. That was not an option for us. So we started looking. We knew we wanted 
ideally three bedrooms because we wanted at least one child and room for her parents to stay with us because we were her family. A lot of Emily's family are on the other side of the country and they come for extended periods to stay and to help. And so we were looking for three bedrooms. I had always dreamed of having more than one bathroom. I dreamed of two bathrooms. So that was sort of our basic, like, that's our requirement. But then once we started looking in the neighborhoods we were interested in, which were Berkeley, Alameda, and Surround, mm -hmm. like maybe El Cerrito, Albany, I wanted to stay close to the bridge because I have a day job in the city and, excuse me, work in the city a fair amount. And, and it's sort of central to the whole Bay Area. So that was our idea. Excuse me. But... Sorry, sparkling water. Sparkling water really brings stuff causes up. Causes a little upset. I'm fine. <laughs> so uh, in this area, it quickly became apparent that even with our uh, inheritance and what we'd saved, it was going to be tough to afford three bedrooms uh, that weren't a crappy house. So we started. We started to get creative. We started to like look at places that said they had a flexible space in them or a spare room as opposed to three bedrooms. Because there's this funny stuff you find when you start looking for a home where like some space is usable, but can't be listed as space. So it'll say like the house is this big, but there's also this bonus space and you can't tell from the pictures because all the pictures are fisheye and weird and from certain angles. Mm -hmm. And then you go and you're like, oh, I see you have 80 square feet of four foot tall space, you know, yes. or whatever, like he's yes. funny. And you start to get creative about like, what could we do with this? And sometimes you go too far and you're like, sure, it's dirty and you know, five cats live in it, but it could be grandma's room, you know, whatever. Yes. You just start like trying yes. to logic it all out. And realtors, no offense to ours, are very quick to tell you like, oh, you'll just do this and this and this. Oh, like, I do so much. It's amen. A amen. And it, you know, and you're I like, fully agree. I guess you're right. And then you start dreaming about that, not thinking about the fact that once you buy a home, you're not going to have a lot of money immediately available to make those changes. Anyway, we can yeah. talk about renovations down the line. But you maybe fall into that trap a little where you're like, you do. oh, they we can do all this. Yes, they sell you on the dream. And they make it seem so simple. And we will touch upon renovations <laughs> in the second part of this segment. Oh, yeah. But like, renovations are a whole bag, man. It is a whole bag. And it's not as simple. It's not as just no, like... No, it's like taking on another job while also spending the money you would make if you did have another job. <laughs> yes. Anyway. It's like taking second. on another job without making money. With, with losing money. Losing exactly. money. Exactly. <laughs> to lose money. So, yeah. We'll get to that later. But well, we started looking... Uh, sorry, I know this has become yeah, a long yeah. story, but there's a good story about how about this particular house and how we got it. So, we were starting to get a little disparity. It had been a couple months. I... Have we made offers? I don't think we'd actually even made offers because our realtor was good about like being realistic. I mean, like, I know it's listed for this, but it's actually gonna go for this, which is another thing in the barrier that's very hard to understand or get used to, is guesstimating like, just because it looks on paper, like that's the house in your price range doesn't necessarily mean it is. And especially if it's pretty nice and doesn't need work, it's gonna go for like 20% more than what it says on paper. Yes. Anyway, that's crazy. We got very close. We kind of fell in love with one in West Oakland that was like a total remodel. It was huge. It seemed like it was within our price range. But we walked around and we had a couple concerns. But Emily was like, this neighborhood is like up and coming. It's like the Brooklyn of San Francisco. It's one stop away on the BART. But it had it up and come enough for people that like have a young or want to have a young child and be able to 
stroll around and feel safe and comfortable and have our parents feel safe and comfortable there even more so maybe. Um, and also like, do we want to be those people? Like, do we, our realtor was like, this will be the most expensive house I ever sold in this neighborhood. And like, do you want that on your back? Like, mm -hmm. and are you a gentrifier or are you helping to make the neighborhood better for everyone? Yeah. That was an interesting It's a lot struggle. to weigh up. Yeah, for us. And ultimately we're like, I don't think we are the people to make that happen. And it sort of got saved for us also by the fact our realtor was like, it's also going to go for this much more. So we wouldn't yes. have gotten it anyway. And indeed, I think it was listed at six hundred thousand and it went for like eight you know or something. you know and side note my realtor told us that they have to list them so low or else nobody will even come it's a it's a trick oh, i didn't remember that it's a but... trick they use in the bay area huh. that like ooh, like to perk your interest you know so they so they sale yeah right. exactly exactly mm -hmm. but that's okay that yeah they also do that like walmart thing of like Six ninety nine. Right. Right. It's yep. funny how those tricks can work on people. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so we, so we saw the listing for this house that we now live in. And I think Emily and I both saw it separately and talked about it and thought, that looks like it could work. Uh, it's a two-bedroom, but it has this big basement that's unfinished that maybe we could do something with. And it seemed kind of affordable. And so we talked to our agent about it. And I remember she at first was kind of lukewarm. She was like, yeah, I saw it. It feels a little small for what you want, I think, from what we described to her early on. And, and maybe a little something seemed awkward about it to her. I can't remember now. But then like another week or two went by and it was still on the market. And we'd sort of realized maybe our goals were a little lofty for our, our means. And so we asked her to come bring us to see it. So we got to come on a day when it wasn't for sale, just like had a lockbox on it, like or what didn't have an open house. So we got to come in by ourselves, which is a very different way to see a house than when you feel like you're surrounded by other interested people who are competing with you. Yes. Uh, if you can ever do that, I highly recommend it. You can really like take your time and imagine what it'd be like to live there as opposed to like, oh, I guess this is what it'd be like to have a party with people we don't like, yes. which is what it feels like. Exactly. Well, you're competitors and you, and you also want to be careful about what you say, Oh yeah. you know, when you enter the home. So that is a great, that's a great tip. Yeah. I mean, that's a good way to just see what's out there, but I didn't feel like it was a very good way to actually feel what it'd be like to live in a place. Mm -hmm. So we came in and we like started to look around and you know, there were certain things that were different from what we were originally looking for. It was a little smaller than what we'd originally hoped, but it had this big basement, which at the time was completely unfinished. And again, we can talk about that in further renovation chats, but, but it was sort of put to us that like, even though that basement was a little short, maybe we could dig it down or lift up the house and have a lot more space for that money. So that all seemed pretty exciting. And then, but we were like, but something is a little weird because houses that seem nice, and this was like very newly remodeled, uh, not remodeled, but like new paint, new roof, new windows, new everything. Like it still looked like an old house. It's a 1930 house, but things seemed very new. And we're like, was it just a flip? What happened here? And why doesn't it have a bunch of offers on it? Like, oh, sorry, I forgot to say, we had seen it go on the market, then off, then come back. Oh. Also. Okay. And then it didn't, it seemed like it had now been on for another two weeks with no offers or something, which is very unusual. And we're like, what's going on? To refer to one of your earlier episodes, is it haunted? Like, right. what's happening here? Yep. So we had our realtor call like the guy that was the sales realtor. And he got back to her, I think, while we we're still here very quickly and told her part of the story. 
I'm not exactly sure. I can't remember what part he put out there. Essentially, it was just that like it had been a rental property for a long time. There had been a fire and the owner had decided like, hey, I'm just going to take the insurance money, give it to a realtor to redo it as nicely as he can and make some money off it. I'm tired of being a, an owner of a rental. Well, that made some sense, but again, why is it still on the market? So, mm-hmm. I can't remember whether it was just Googling or talking to neighbors or what, but the true story of our home, the dirt on our home is, and we'd heard a couple different versions, but I think the final version is that a nice woman had lived here for decades upstairs, and she had a son living downstairs. The downstairs had been a kind of an apartment uh, down there, and... Then her, she, but she had like a crazy boyfriend and, you know, I know it's not very politically correct to use the term crazy, but he showed up with a knife. Okay. Yeah. You can use the word and, crazy. Uh, <laughs> like, and I guess like the neighbors knew, like they'd had loud fights before and stuff, but they all liked her and they just wished to get rid of this dude. And he showed up with a knife and threatened them. Oh. They managed to get away, but the police came and he locked himself in the house and lit it on fire. This house. This house. He got out too. They got him out and was fine, I guess. I don't know what happened to him, but he survived. And, but a chihuahua did perish in the flames. So we have spoken about how he may have a ghost chihuahua. My friend John Tracy said it for a housewarming party. He had this great prank idea where he was going to try to get a dog, powder it white, (laughs) tell everyone else to pretend they didn't notice it and not tell us and just have it run around the house. That I'm would have been thankful great. he didn't do it, but it would have been an epic prank. Uh-huh. Um, we have not noticed any hauntings. I have no good stories for you there. Uh, but it's an interesting sort of stigma, yeah. uh, which the neighbors know about. Like, mm-hmm. a lot of people lived here when that happened and, like, came out of their on their porches and watched that fire and, like... Where was the fire? I mean, I think the house the mostly the house? burned. Like really? the roof is new, the stucco is new. I think like wow. a lot of the structures new, which is an upside for us. Like we're not gonna have to replace that roof for fifteen years or however long they last, or you know, paint the house for a while. But again, like that's a crazy story to come into, and I think it scared people away. Mm. Um, yeah. For whatever reason. Uh, but we decided we, we were but not. But like the person that was selling it, he bought it from her? Sorry, no. Uh, so the owner owned it. He'd been renting it for 20 years to this to woman. So it was woman. his house. Got it. Now, so the way that we imagined that story was that like she had found a new place to live, whatever. We since heard a downside. We hadn't heard like many years later after we moved in. We're friends with some of our neighbors. And she was like, you know, I was good friends with, I forget her name that lived here. And she was sort of led to believe, apparently, that she was going to get to move back in, that they were remodeling it for her to rent again. Oh. And then was surprised by the fact they were selling it. So again, that's not our fault, and we didn't know about it when it happened, so I don't exactly feel guilty, but it's another like, oh, how do the neighbors look at us? Right. Like, for being the people that came in. Came in after all of that heartbreak. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, so that is. So the house has some history. Has some history, it right? It has some history. Uh, but and I think it's led us to like try to be all the more like good neighbors, like mm-hmm. respectful and kind, and and people have certainly I haven't felt like a cold shoulder or anything. I don't mean that, but 
But it's yeah. an, it's interesting, and I think it's something to think about whenever you move into a house. Like what? Who what lived are, there before? What right. do the neighbors think of that house? If the walls place? could tell the story, if the walls could talk, so true. You know, so true. Well, okay. What, Sorry, that was a long story. But no, that, there but it that's is. interesting. And everyone has a story like that about how they, especially here. And we the footnote is that our realtor used us as the success story because because we knew. We sort of were able to leverage, like, look, we know this house has a crazy store and you haven't gotten offers. We're solid. We will make you an offer. We made, we offered below asking, mm-hmm. which is, our realtor was like, I've never seen that work. Yep. Don't do it. But yep. we're like, I think we can. Especially I think in the negotiate. Bay Area. They're like, don't do it. You're, you'll be out of the game. You'll be out of the you're, race. You're going to embarrass yourself. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's what it felt like. But I was really firm on it. Emily wasn't so sure it was going to do it. And, uh, and we got it for less than asking. Uh, we had Way to, to like, you know, waive some contingencies, I think, or something. But, uh, but our, we became like, our realtor was so like, you're the success story. Like I tell other poor people <laughs> who are shopping for houses, like it can happen. Well, listen, like go with your gut, you know, like if you feel like you are like, that's a good, like it's a good move to make, then do it. I think so. I mean, Yeah. Yeah. There's other houses in the sea. Right. We would have found something else, somewhere else, but uh, we're glad we got we got. And we call it the SUV of houses. It rides high. <laughs> we can, like, see around. You can. You have of our a great basement. view. It feels, like, safe and nice and well-lit and, like, yeah. It's great. got our view. So what was the process like for you guys getting pre-qualified? Because when I... Yeah. I mean... I want to hear your... Do you think your listeners would understand what pre-qualified means? <laughs> Great point, Michael! You shop for home. Thank uh, you! So, how I would... I haven't thought about this, but how I would maybe put it in a how word... How would you define is it? like, that's where you sort of get your finances together and the bank or your... Uh, in our case, our mortgage broker sort of says, Hey, here's how much... Here's the range you can shop in. Like you, we think you can get approved for a loan of this much money, which means if you're putting twenty percent down, you can look for homes in this range. Um, that's what pre-approval meant to me. Now, I think I looked at it too favorably. I kind of thought once we were pre-approved, which I don't remember being that hard. It was a pain, like to gather some records. But I had most of those records. My parents are pretty good about training me to keep those things. Some things were unexpected, like pay like stubs. Like what kind of, oh, pay stubs. I did not yes. keep pay stubs because mm-hmm. I was like, I trust my job. My day job, I've been there for years. They send me a thing at the end of the year. Like, yep. So that was crazy. I had to start saving those. And it took a while to like, get enough because you're supposed to have so many months of them. I think there was like some employment history stuff I didn't remember because I'd been at the same job for so long, same day job. Plus... And then the other weird one that, again, like, I felt like maybe because our mortgage broker was slick and good and experienced, he took care of maybe some of the complicated part without making it complicated for us. So he just kept asking for what we needed, got us approved. We were all set. The really hard part for us came after pre-approval, but we can oh, I get to that one already. That. I thought, well, so there's a lot of things, again, about, like, to look good on paper, they're looking for certain things that because of our being artists, uh, I, I made quote marks on the air mm-hmm. for you listeners, but because of, uh, I hate using that term for myself, but, uh, but because of being a creative employed person, uh, our job history doesn't look normal on paper, right? So that was really complicated 
Essentially, we got pre-approved. I don't remember that being very challenging and feeling great. I was like, well, that part's done. Like, we don't have to even deal with any money or financial record stuff anymore. And I was glad to be done with it because I was raised by parents who, like, are very good with money but never talked about it, really. Yes. I have no idea what they're worth or, yes. like, what. So, so I was sort of raised that way, too. And combined, like, embarrassed about talking about money in general with being embarrassed about not having much money. And it's, like, kind yes. of a painful process to me to be examined that way. Uh, and it was just something you just had to be like, okay, this is what we have to do if we want this. We did. So that was okay. But after we were pre-approved in that month where we put in the offer and maybe even between the pre-approval and that, like more stuff kept coming up where they were like, well, what about this? Like, cause they check your background and they check your credit and they're going over your paperwork and they're happy to pre-approve you because that's how the bank makes money, right? Is to loan you money. But also then once they're actually gonna do it, they start looking more carefully. It was my experience. So I'm trying to remember, I tried to like write down some things I, that were specifically tough. like. One thing that was hard was like, they kept calling me like, or writing me at work and be like, hey, do you have this? I need this right now. Yes. Was the yes. feeling it was. It was like, drop everything. We need this paperwork. So like the renovations, it, right it felt like another job and Emily's job was less flexible than mine. So a lot of it felt to me to like, try to check this stuff down and not bother her, but be like, do you know where this is? And then there were some weird things. Like I had my name on my boss's credit cards, even though that he's totally responsible for them. It was just like, I'm his personal assistant, so I would shop for him. So suddenly, like, that was involved in my credit, the fact he owed money on his cards or whatever. Mm. And he, like, wrote this big letter to be like, Michael's not responsible for these balances. And I thought, like, okay, we're in the clear on that. Then we got unapproved because that credit, once I, they, like, subtracted that credit from my record, like, now I didn't have enough credit, oh. even though he owed money. These weird things like that. So they were including his credit history. Yeah. They were lumping it in with you yeah. and Emily's. And then not to... Yeah, and then like cards you never knew you hadn't closed or whatever. Yeah. Like my credit was pretty good, but I'd never owed a lot of money, uh, which I always thought was a good thing. But it turns out that means you don't have much credit. Like, right. So that's crazy. Then there was this other funny thing where on paper my income looks even lower than it is as far as being an actor because we have an accountant and he like makes sure we take all the the deductions it's certainly legal but but you know as an actor sometimes you just get paid like stipends for things that cover yes. some transportation it's whatever. all miscellaneous so then i had to like income. go back and try to add all that up for the last few years to yes. try to prove like i'm not quite as poor as i look mm -hmm. like or like mm -hmm. or i also get a gift from my like i got this gift here this inherited animal mm -hmm. so just like Desperately trying to prove you're worth something in the world is what oh, it felt like. Yes. And fast and hard and like. Yes. It shame, was, shame, shame. It was it, like the yeah, shame it is bell. Shame. I mean, like, I, when I first, this was not my experience um, when Rowan and I bought our house, but um, I was considering just perusing when we were dating mm -hmm. a little bit. Mm -hmm. And. Um, and the real estate agent, no, yeah, it was a real estate agent. She straight up told me, she was like... Not a chance. She, yeah, she was like, banks want real jobs. Banks want uh, real jobs. Real oh, jobs. Real money. Like, it's and funny how like, that, oh, because God. it's capitalist society, right, that's okay. Whereas, like, we would never be like... Children want a good mom, yeah. and you're an artist, and you can't be a good mom. Like, exactly. People wouldn't do that. I mean, maybe they would, but exactly. Not out loud. <laughs> but I, you know, honestly, like Rowan and I, 
when we bought our house, we had he had a full-time job and I had a full-time job for like a brief period in our lives. It makes a difference. You know, and it made, it's and so then we quit. It's so weird how that's all they care. There's no proof you're going to no keep making money or you're, you're going to like continue. lose a leg and then stop being able to do your job. Like they don't know. That's what's so weird about the system. And that's why it makes complete sense to me. That, like it's all a house of cars that collapsed and caused mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And then like, did you also go through that thing after where your mortgage gets sold a couple times? It happened like twice in the first year. Oh, like one bank think... sells it to another. I have no idea how that works oh, as far as them making we, money. We we bought a co-op. So we went through an, uh, like the co-op bank. So we're just dealing with one bank. But what is that about? I don't know. Somehow they can make money by like short selling or whatever. They're loaned to a different bank, getting rid of the responsibility. I have no idea how it works, but it literally changed hands twice in like a year. And wow. now it's it's been Wells Fargo ever since, which is sort of convenient for us because our the rest of our money is in Wells Fargo or a lot of it. So now it's yep. all in one statement, but yep. it's strange. Um, well, so back to... did. I mean, back to the pre-qualified process. Yeah, yeah. Did you, um, you guys got pre-qualified? Yeah, Emily's steady job was very helpful in that. She'd already been a teacher for a little that bit. That looks good. Yeah. That looks good. Mm-hmm. That was great. And, I, and I've had a steady day job for a long time, but it's a day job that's, my income changes a lot. And they're like looking at like, how much did you make during this period? Mm-hmm. And like, because mm-hmm. it's hourly. Yeah. It's really, I feel it's like, the whole pre-qualifying process, that one, number one, when you start going to look at places, that's the first thing they ask you. They're like, are you right. pre-qualified? Because that's, that's like the first indicator yeah, you carry about, that with right, you. right, of how serious you are. Right. Um, Good point. Good point. What was the highest point for you when you bought the house? Like, like about the, the process or about the actual, like... The most exciting. Yeah. Oh man, I mean, it is a very exciting process. Like, it's the adrenaline's built in with that like month long period of closing, right? Where you're like, will we get it? Will something come up? I don't know. Is my life about to change? Is it not? Like, even just trying to get your bid accepted, all that stuff. I wrote a nice letter, and you're like, now my heart's on the line, too. Yeah. And, uh, the I mean, love letter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's hard to beat the high of just like signing all the things, which takes hours. And, Getting your keys, though, I think that's probably the high point. We had friends help us move, which was a fun day. It turned, ended up being like mostly all women, which had like this team of amazing women friends like help move a lot of our stuff. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. Like we have this great picture of us on the porch taken from below. Like, I remember the that first day or two. And then I remember like making the first few like quick changes I wanted to make. I happened to do a commercial gig or a show gig with that guy who was like, I'm a handyman, because I was telling him I was, like, trying to get a house, and here's my card, and that was his day job, and he, like, came over and, like, helped us put the house numbers up that I bought, and that I really like, nice. and carved the mail slot. Those things felt great. Like, in one day, we fixed a couple of just random things, like one door dragging. Now it drags again. But, uh, <laughs> you know, he was, yep. like, quick to be able to help with those things. That's great. And that was, like, that made it feel real and exciting. What was the lowest point for you when you bought the house? Well, aside from going through that process, just being done with that process I was very know. nice. I mean, the, the packet of papers, uh, yeah. especially in California, right? Like, that's where you have to have a really good real estate agent. Right. To, uh, like, to be able to understand yeah. that stuff. I will tell you, 
What was yours? <laughs> I'll tell you what was my like, you're not asking point. this question unless you have these in mind for yourself. Our lowest point was understanding property taxes. Yeah. And how they shoot up after the first and, year? Well, it, not in all cities. It depends on the city you live in because sometimes it's locked in to the price that you bought the home at. Oh. At least in Alameda. Or, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the year that you bought the home, it locks. And that'll be forever. That'll be forever. Yeah. Maybe that is true. I mean, we keep getting these appraisal notices that we just got one, and I'm like, I don't think it actually changed. Uh, yeah. Unless maybe we do a big remodel. Right. And maybe they're allowed to. I don't know. Here. But the crazy one for us, and our realtor did warn us, but it was still crazy. It was like, our first property tax was like a couple hundred bucks because the last time before we bought the house, it had sold for like you know, an eighth or a tenth of what we bought it for yep. 20, 30 years ago when this guy bought it. So that was insane. So they're like, so your first bill is really low. Then you'll get hit with like a makeup bill for the rest of it. And then from then on, it'll be both of those together combined. And that'll be crazy. And that's a big, big thing, which like maybe falls under a different category than what we're talking now is the idea that like, I think we're paying less per month than we would for this much space rental in this area for sure like mortgage-wise. But then sometimes I'm like, I don't really think about, because we only pay the property tax twice a year in chunks. And I'm like, but if you add in that property tax, which is so crazy in Berkeley, although you get a lot for it, and your home and your owner's insurance and then the maintenance and that, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know long run whether rental or buying is like, so the only gold silver lining, golden silver lining, as my father said, is like, but, this is how much you pay forever, like, particularly your mortgage, if you get a 30-year locked. So, like, rents will continue to rise, but not yours, if you stay there. Amen. That is so. good. It, that, that is truthful and honest and good advice. And that's what I keep coming back to, too, is, like, the minute we moved out of our rental, um, the landlord raised the rent. Yeah. Like, we were paying 2200 he raised it to 2400 for a one bedroom, okay? And I will be honest with you now, our mortgage was less than what we were paying in rent, which is such a nice, and it feels good, yeah. it feels good and to know that you're gonna get that money back. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, also, we talked a little bit about this, but I wanna go back oh. into the the heightened state of drop everything. Yeah. We need you to sign this and get this paperwork immediately. It's another job for that time. It was, it's so stressful because you're like, I mean, I remember writing a check for, you know, my rent right out of college and being like, oh man, this yeah. is the biggest check that I've ever written. And then writing a check for what is it called? The good faith deposit? Like, oh, you won't get back. That with went you. June. Yeah. I mean, it's insane. Yeah. It's like drop everything and give me twenty thousand dollars. <laughs> right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It is just more money if you're a normal person than you've ever spent before buying yeah. your first home. So that's that feels so crazy. Feels wild. Um. Uh, I mean, so, yeah, so I think that's low point for me. Other low point, again, like this is more maybe for a part two about renovations, is that I really do feel like we were led to believe 
that our little shorty basement, which is like six to seven feet tall, so not real space again, as I was talking about in terms of your home's value and recorded uh, area, I really do feel like we're led to believe for a amount of money we could probably afford fairly quickly, be able to either dig it lower so it was taller, or maybe even raise the house up. But we were thinking digging down to not messing with the structure of the house. And like, I even feel like we had someone come in that our realtor recommended who was like, yeah, you could do that. And it would only cost this much. And then like, as soon as I had people actually come look at it that I found to look at it, they were like, oh no, that would cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to do safely. Like, and that was something we were not gonna be able to afford ever probably. So that was a low point to like realize like, huh, I gotta compromise on the dream of like, having a free second story, which I right, thought was Right, right. Well, they, and they are just so frivolous with, well, you can get rid of the popcorn wall <laughs> and, you know, that'll be fine. And never mind, you could never live there while that was happening yeah. either. And it'll be a bunch of random people coming through your home for two months. And um, you might, there might be a point where you think nothing's ever going to get completed. Right. You know? But I, I do think you have to be careful about, you know, your real estate agent selling you on this dream and like roping you into this narrative of like easy peasy because you don't want to be house poor. Right. Right. right? Um, so you had also talked about uh, like previously about like what is there any like advice for anyone? I feel like we're painting a, a grim picture, which maybe isn't fair because, uh, you know, it's these are sort of well, um, these are the, these are the unfortunate truths of like, yeah, but but yes, what advice would you have so, for people? I mean, I, you don't have to have like your own mortgage broker. I believe that realtors have their own in-house guys that can help you. And I'm sure most of them are great. And if you like your realtor, I'm sure they're not going to steer you wrong. But we had this other guy first, and it was really nice to feel like he was on our side. And like, even though he was like, our realtor was like, I don't know, he's in the North Bay, he's in a different market. Like, I'm sure that she's supposed to go with her guy that, that is here, or a girl, but, person. But, uh, but she was willing to work with him, and I felt like having that guy knowing that we found him, and he was our friend's friend, and he was on our side, like, that was really nice for yes. us, especially because I didn't feel like we were money financial people at all mm -hmm. to like, feel like we had someone to trust us. And yes, he's making money on it too, but it, we mostly felt like he's going to make the most money by getting us the best deal. That's what it felt like. So you felt like you had somebody in your corner. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And not mm -hmm. that our realtor wasn't, but I, I liked that, that mm -hmm. he would like, he wasn't afraid to argue with her about financial stuff if he felt like. And he would also, like, be our go-between with the bank. So, again, I feel like he saved us maybe some of the hassle and heartache and understanding. And was just like, here's the bottom line. This is what I need. Because I also think you're very vulnerable as first-time buyers, right? Right. The learning curve is steep. There's so much you don't know. There's so much that you have to just, like, go through. And I feel like... I mean, I haven't been to real estate school, but, you know, if, you know, I would place a bet that there's a whole chapter on first-time buyers. Because you got to walk through everything. Yeah, it's true. That's, like, part of it. And that's another reason why I went with the woman we went with. She was a fairly new realtor. Mm. Like, and so some might be worried that that wasn't enough experience, but for us, we are like, she's in our corner a little bit in that, like... And she also felt like she was around our wealth level. 
Mm. Like she lived in Piedmont. She had a nicer home than we do, but mm-hmm. but that like she wasn't like in a different world. That totally. she would be able to relate to the fact we were youngish and had less right. money than a lot of people in the market. So I'd recommend that to that finding a realtor, but that's not part of pre-qualification, but finding a realtor who you can relate to. Mm-hmm. And then the other one, and again, this like, I fear this is sounds grim, but like you touched on this already with your, you and Rowan had better luck talking to people about pre-qualification when you had steady jobs. And like, I don't want to discourage, like, I'm sure there's ways to do it. I don't want to discourage anyone who wants to own a home from looking, but it's going to be easier if you have good credit. Yes. And you have a steady job that you've had for a little while. Um, So I think if you you know it's something you want, eventually, to own a home and you don't have those things now, maybe weigh your life in terms of, like, Maybe it's worth sticking with this job I don't allow for a couple years so that I have that. Because it does make a huge difference. Well, and to add to that, have a job, you know, a stable job. You know, I I hate to say, but a nine-to-fiver, you know? That's what banks are hoping for. That's what banks want to see. And also, they, I don't know if um, your bank asked you for this, but our banks wanted you know, our bosses to fill out a whole yes, questionnaire. Yes, saying, are you going to keep employing them? And yes. Stuff. Yep, like, what's the process. percentage of that person staying at the job? Yeah, Kind of thing. That. that is true. And it's a very, it's a very exposing, you know, and so, like, if you're kind of at a place at your job where you don't have, you know, I don't know where <laughs> a good relationship, the, a good relationship yeah. with your boss or the person who oversees you, you might might want to take that into consideration. Yep, that's for sure. And side note related to that, again, it shows you how silly this whole system is because I am still at that job legitimately uh, many years later. But my boss literally was like, just tell me what you want me to say. Just write the letter. I'll sign it. Like that actually means nothing. But banks yes. have to like have that paperwork. You yes. Yes. That concludes part one of Home Ownership. Big thanks to Michael Barrett-Austin for sharing his experience with us. Tune in next Monday, August 19th for part two. We dive deep into renovations, how to navigate working with contractors, and much more. Big thanks to Cal Reichenbach who did all the music for the show. Check him out at calzonemusic.com and Rini Shaw who did our artwork. And hey, if you like listening to the pod, please don't keep it a secret. Talking about it on social media or telling your friends about it all helps to get the word out. Uh, Thanks so much for tuning in. See you next week.